The views expressed on Geeks and Beats are those of the participants alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of their employers. Can you explain to me why I went to Starbucks on the weekend and they're already selling pumpkin spice lattes? The leaves haven't even fallen off the trees yet. I know, I seasonal creep. I don't like <laughs> this. That's too early. I'm going to make a prediction. Yes. It's too late because this show will, will run after the event. Yes. Uh, but there will be a pumpkin spice iPhone. Yes. You've got the black, you've got the white, you've got the space gray, and then the pumpkin spice. It's the thing to do. From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, now with 1.2 billion subscribers on iTunes and GeoCities, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting. Stealing cars the high-tech way. We'll introduce you to Sammy Kamkar, who not only broke MySpace, but the hearts of the auto industry and technicians worldwide. Get your pencils ready. The cassette is back. We'll tell you why the only major manufacturer in the States is seeing sales rise. Plus, Techniques is getting back into the turntable business. Just bring your own tone arm if you need to play your copy of Dark Side of the Moon. And attention travelers. We're giving away a gadget that will ensure you always know where your lost luggage is. Opinions are like the Blackberry Bold. You find them everywhere, but nobody's impressed with them. And now, Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. So we've been spending much of season three talking about the autonomous car, self-driving vehicles, the future of the automobile here. And then, of course, we start talking about the security implications of it. Not the least of which is one of the guys who was responsible for one of my favorite hacks of MySpace back in the olden days. You remember MySpace, don't you, Alan? I was actually a fan of MySpace. I was very sad when it uh, started looking pretty instead of so ugly and horrible. Well, Sammy Kamkar is the man who figured out a way to uh, basically go from 73 followers on MySpace. So I think it was 75 million or so at its height. <laughs> and that was a decade ago. What has he done since? Well, he joins us now to tell us how we should not be comfortable in a self-driving car. Sammy, good to have you with us. Thanks for having me. You've managed to hack into not autonomous vehicles of the 21st century, but modern day cars that have the whoop, whoop, key fobs. Correct. You know, the, the key fobs and the car remotes that they have. Um, and I've also been looking at some other areas such as uh, things like OnStar and the other uh, services that are enabled in a lot of these vehicles where you can actually have various controls from your mobile device. Okay, let's back up a little bit and, and, and talk about uh, early car hacks. You were able to use uh, channel scanners to find out your the code for your garage door opener. You were able to use uh, the same sort of technology to figure out exactly what it was in your key fob that allowed you to get into the car. But what you're doing here, what you did with this this Jeep, this, uh, this Chrysler product, is you, you managed to hack into uh, the infotainment system. That was actually these uh, other two researchers, um, Chris Valsek and Charlie Miller, have actually ha did the Chrysler hack and, and really did an incredible job of demonstrating sort of how you can, uh, how you can sort of, you know, as a jigsaw, go through the infotainment system as you've specified, as well as through a mobile network um, into the CAN bus, the system that sort of runs the entire car to actually control the car remotely. How is what you're talking about different from the Jeep hack that we that I so 
incorrectly attributed to you? Oh, well, well you know, there's, there's a couple things going on here. So I, I think we're covering a couple different areas. Um, all of them are really interesting, I think. So, you know, one, one of the things that, that I demonstrated recently was uh, I came out with something called Roll Jam, which was an inexpensive device, about $30 in hardware. And what I demonstrated is that um, I can essentially unlock almost any car that uses those wireless remotes. Um, and what the device does is it, essentially it's a proof of concept. I'm demonstrating an insecurity that's been in our cars for years and years and years and still affecting every single car I've tried today. And the way it works is when you go to your car and you hit the unlock button on a remote, for example, you're sending a code to your car that unlocks the vehicle. Now there's security in that car or in that remote and car so that if someone captures that wireless signal and replays it later on when you're not around, the car will actually ignore it and reject it and say, you know, I won't allow that, uh, I won't accept that, uh, that signal, I've seen it before. So essentially these systems use something called a rolling code where the code constantly changes. So your key when you hit it again will actually generate a secondary or a new code every time. Uh, my device exploits that fact by jamming the signal twice. So when you hit unlock, nothing happens. So when nothing happens, you hit unlock again. Well, your key is now has created two different passwords for me to use, one of which I replay right then so you can unlock your car, and another one I can use later on. Um, so that's one of the attacks that I've demonstrated. The, the Chrysler and, and Fiat thing, that was uh, by Charlie Mellon and Chris Valsek. What they were able to do is go through the mobile network, basically, um, these Chryslers had something called Uconnect, and Uconnect allowed people to, let's say, uh, either communicate with their um, car over a mobile device, or the Chrysler servers could also communicate with the vehicles. And they were able to sort of go through that system, um, through the infotainment, and then onto the CAN bus where a lot of the vehicle is controlled and actually trigger brakes and uh, all sorts of other mayhem on, on a vehicle that while it was driving. Um, entirely remotely and wirelessly. But the, these these buses are supposed to be separate, right? Separate and, 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 and distinct from each other. So theoretically, you shouldn't be able to get into the car through the infotainment system and then begin to uh, access things like the brakes and the lights and everything else that runs the, you know, the car, the non-entertainment part of the car. Yeah, so, you know, the, these buses or these systems should be separate from each other, but more and more they're, they're becoming interconnected. And that's for several reasons. Um, you know, for example, there are, there are systems in the car that can, you know, um, automatically brake for you or, or, for example, let's say park the car for you. And as we're actually moving to the future, there's actually some really cool technologies that are coming out. Um, there's something called V2V or vehicle to vehicle, which actually allows one car to communicate with other cars around it. So if you're driving down the road and your car detects that the, the road is slippery, it can actually wirelessly communicate with other cars behind it and say, hey, slow down, the, car, uh, the road is slippery. Um, I think it's interesting in a security perspective because who says that that's a car that's actually communicating with you and not, let's say, a malicious hacker? Well, that's what brings me to a conversation I had at the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas with the people behind Ford. They had boasted about this V2V technology being rolled out within the industry. They came out with a standard, which as we all sort of figured, if you've got different manufacturers, you need a standard sure. for cars to be able to talk to each other. And I said, well, what about the security? And he points out, well, we've got the same kind of security that they use at Amazon.com when you buy a product, SSL, Secure Certificate Layer. And that was when I immediately realized, wait a minute, we're screwed here because you can actually fake that technology as well. So from the point where you've got a gadget that allows you to intercept the 
key codes of cars so that you can not only get into the car, but then also manipulate the vehicle itself wirelessly. We're now entering a stage where we're talking about a whole new range of technologies and a whole new range of security issues that come with them. That's really not enough. I mean, that, that doesn't that doesn't to really say anything about the integrity of the security of the system. That just talks about the communication layer being encrypted. I mean, who's who's to say if my car, you know, has this feature, this V2V communication, and all of that data is being encrypted? Well, who says I can't tap into you know the the microcontroller responsible for that communication before the data gets encrypted? and then send my own messages. And then the actual board will do the encryption for me. It already has that built into hardware. And then it, it just encrypts the messages that I've sent you know, as, a, as a hacker. Um, oh, so right. there's, there's so many possibilities here. Is, are we in a place, because part of this has to do with OnStar, et cetera. You know, I'm looking at my new car, which seems to get updates for things like traffic, et cetera, through my Sirius XM satellite radio. All right, do I essentially have an unsecured network every time I'm driving around? More than likely, Sirius itself is not tied to anything critical on your on your car, but you know that would take a little more investigation to ensure that it's not you know on the CAN bus or some other area that, if it were to be exploited wirelessly, that it could not you know otherwise control your car. The problem is you know more and more um, our vehicles are getting these systems sort of tied together, and in many cases for good reason. Uh, the, the question is you know how secure is that, and you know is there enough security being um, you know. Is there enough investment in security in these new features? Let's be clear that you're you're a white hat hacker. You're you're exploiting these um, these 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 vulnerabilities, and you're you're showing them to the to the manufacturer, saying, "Hey, dudes, if if you're not going to be careful about what you're installing in your vehicles, you're going to run into all kinds of liability issues." Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the problem is that so many of these vehicles have all these features. Um, another thing I demonstrated in the maybe two months ago was um, a device I created called OnStar, and it exploited the OnStar uh, mobile app. And what it was able to do was, if uh, I put my OnStar device under a car and you ever opened your OnStar mobile app, um, I was able to essentially siphon your credentials, and then later on, I could always locate where your car is indefinitely, and also even remotely unlock it and remote start it. And I found the same attack was possible with BMW's uh, mobile app, with uh, Mercedes-Benz's mobile app, and also Chrysler's mobile apps. Um, you know, that their mobile apps had, I think, less features, but all of which would allow me to unlock a vehicle wirelessly, indefinitely. This is Mr. Robot stuff. This is great. <laughs> well, it's great for you and for Hollywood to be able to talk about this sort of stuff. But if the auto industry wants to actually get us behind an autonomous vehicle in the next 15 years or so, we're going to have to be confident that somebody isn't spoofing the credentials of this, that or the other thing, leading us to be apprehensive about getting behind the non-wheel of this car. Do, do you get a sense, Sammy, that, that the industry is upfront with this when you present them with these types of, of hacks and exploits and and problems does the does the industry circle the wagons or does it invite you in and say let's resolve this yeah are they taking you seriously uh, that's a great question I think uh, I think more and more they are taking all of this seriously however this is really a new area for them right before their cars were not connected to the internet um, they were not being exploited by hackers because the only way you could hack that is to be inside the car and connect. Uh, but now, you know, now that they're all on the internet, now they are getting researchers like me and you know Charlie Millen, Chris Balzac, and others investigating. And more and more, they're they're open to this communication. And uh, it's diff it was difficult to reach out to some of them in the beginning, but you know, all of the companies that I did contact, you know, finally have resolved at least the OnStar related issues so far. 
All right, everybody take the bus. <laughs> Sammy, good to have you with us. Thank you so much for your time and insight. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Own one of the craptastic mugs of the world's most popular podcast and support the show. You too can use the power of science to hold liquids, both hot or cold. Visit geeksandbeats.com today. All right, apparently cassettes are still a thing. Yeah, this really bothers me. Do you find anything remotely romantic about the cassette resurrection or the alleged resurrection? Oh, yes. One thing that really gets my heart all Twitter-pated is sticking a pencil deep into the cassette spindle and spinning it around after it gets jammed and I have to rewind all of the tape. Uh, you know, cassettes were really good back in the day. Before we had any kind of digital technology, they were convenient. They were certainly much better than eight tracks. They sounded good enough. And if you didn't mind them rattling around on the footwell of the passenger seat, they were, you know, a good thing to have for programming the music when you went driving. Just don't leave it on the dashboard. Oh, no, because they will melt. Or, you know, the worst thing that could happen is you're driving along and all of a sudden brrr, it gets all wound up around the capstan and you have to pull over and, and pull out, you know, miles and miles of tape and hope that you don't, uh, you know, ruin your, your cassette player because the tape had jammed. Apparently, they still exist, though, and there is one factory making cassettes. Yeah, you know, there's always going to be, you know, that one niche technology, that one niche factory that's going to serve this technology. Um if you go to certain places in the world, India, for example, cassettes are still a very big thing because they're they're reliable. They do well in dusty, hot environments, and uh, they're cheap. Same thing with Indonesia. I went into a record store in um, someplace in Ubud, Bali, in Indonesia, and they had a whole wall of pre-recorded cassettes that were still there. So they they have their time and place in other parts of the world, just not here. They're they're for, for where we are right now. Cassettes are hateful technologies. They had their time and place, but they deserve to be forgotten like the wax cylinder. In Springfield, Missouri, you will find the one remaining audio cassette factory that claims 2015 was its best year since it opened in 1969. Oh, come on. National Audio Company President Steve Sepp is quoted at Bloomberg.com as saying that the audio cassette tape is not dead. You can characterize our operating model as stubbornness and stupidity. Yes. We were too stubborn to quit. Yeah, I, I, I agree with it. All of those cassettes that they're manufacturing cannot be for domestic consumption. There's just no way. The company says they're profitable. They produced 10 million cassette tapes in 2014, and in 2015, Sales are up 20% so far this year. This has got to be the hipster thing. They've moved on from vinyl already. No, 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 no. There, there can't be that many hipsters. They must be exporting these things. There is no way. I mean, you used to be able to go into a place like Kmart or Walmart or Kresge's or whatever and, and buy these, 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 these cellophane packs of cassettes, and there would be six or eight or 10 or 12 of them, and the thing would be worth about 10 bucks. And people went through tons of these things because we all made mixtapes for our cars. You know what? This conversation could either be about audio cassettes or it could be about vinyl. Because you are on the opposite side of this conversation when it comes to vinyl. Techniques is back in the turntable business. Yes, because vinyl is actually a growing source of enjoyment for a lot of people. And you can't say the same about cassettes. Well, you can't. I mean, the cassette resurrection is manufactured. It is totally fake. There is uh, a handful of cassette-only labels that sell 
you know, a handful of cassettes um, for people who feel that they need to stay. You know, one of the things that attracts me to cassettes is their sheer inconvenience and bad audio quality. <laughs> With vinyl, vinyl's different. Vinyl sounds good. And if you want to invest in a good turntable, and we'll get to that in just a second. If you want to invest in a good turntable and you want to have a good two-channel listening experience in, uh, you know, a completely analog way, it's it, vinyl's good. Well, and, let's and get right to it here because the SL1200 was the turntable that you bought back at old olden days times yes and you know they, they stopped making them but apparently they're making them again but i'm looking at this and there's no buttons there are no controls there's no tone arm yeah how does this work well this this is obviously techniques is getting into the high-end audio um, realm once again so what they've done to uh, this was at the frankfurt uh, audio show uh what they did was was they created a platter and, and, and a motor and uh, you can buy the turn. Uh, you can buy the um, uh, the tone arm separately and the cartridge setters, uh, separately. Well, what's the point if you don't have those things? No, when you're buying the super high end stuff, you buy everything separately. This is just the way it goes. You can spend fifty thousand dollars on a turntable, and all you're really getting is the platter and the motor. Uh, this is this is in that category. How how relevant is the the platter and the motor? I thought it was all about the tone arm and. Well, because so long as you get an engine that spins at a consistent speed. Yes, but it has to be very quiet. There can't be any rumble. There can't be, ah. uh, you know, all the vibrations have to be isolated away from the turntable because all these things influence the audio that comes off the tone arm. I mean, tone arms are very important. Cartridges are very important. But you have to have a very neutral, very solid, very quiet uh, mounting uh, motor and platter. And uh, this, you know, requires some very heavy-duty engineering. After they got out of the business in 2010 through their parent company, Panasonic, this new model here that I'm looking at, as we point out, doesn't have a tone arm or, or the cartridge that goes with it at this point, but it's also a direct drive. Yes. I thought direct drive motors were the best way to go because those were always the ones that I used when I was in radio early in my career. Right. A direct drive motor means that there is... Uh, the spindle of the turntable, that little thing in the center that you put your record on, is the is is directly connected. is is basically the axle of the motor, and uh, there is no belts. There is no uh, any other method of transferring motion from a motor to the platter. You drive the platter directly from the motor, and these turntables. Um, okay, they're very good because if you. If, these turntables are favored by DJs because they start from zero to whatever speed you want them at very, very quickly, maybe in a quarter of a turn or a third of a turn. That's very important when you're DJing or when you're working on a radio station. Uh, you you, you want to have something that gets up to speed very, very quickly. The problem is that you have to have a very, very quiet, solid motor so you don't transfer any of the vibrations of the motor itself to the platter, to the record, to the cartridge, to the tone arm, to your ears. So there's a certain amount of engineering that has to go into that. Belt drive turntables are a little bit different because you're allowed to isolate the motor from the platter itself through a, a, a rubber belt, and uh, that can make it a little quieter, but uh, you don't get up to speed as quickly. If you're looking for a Techniques model SL1200 from back in the day, 
I found one for you on eBay. It's only 275 bucks, but there's only an hour left. you got to buy it now. If you're seeing one for $275, it's probably been in a nightclub and, and abused quite a bit. Even at that price, it'll probably run for years. They, they started making these things in 1972, and I wouldn't be surprised if they bring them back again because they're just so darn good. I've got one right here, and I love it. We were going to do season four's premiere episode on a Google Hangout so everybody could see how the sausages are made. Because if you look behind me here, we've got studio quality backdrop. Alan, on the other hand, it looks like you're doing yours in a garage. No, no, no. I'm doing it in a bunker. Okay. Well, a bunker at this point that could use some light, which is why we've got gadget ninja Aaron Lawrence on the case. Aaron Lawrence, Gadget Ninja, able to leap from Windows 8 to Windows 10 in a single bound, can insert a USB stick in a single try, and consumes bandwidth like your mother-in-law at an all-you-can-eat buffet. If you have a problem and you can't find anyone at Best Buy to help you, maybe you need (laughs) the Gadget Ninja. Any similarity to Marvel, DC Comics, or the A-Team is purely coincidental. Please don't sue us. Aaron, welcome to the program. Thank you, gentlemen. How are you doing? Well, I'm in. I'm bathed in light. Alan, however, is in clearly a bunker. I'm in darkness. Two words. Smart lighting. The Osram Lightify Flex. Is that what this is? That's what this one's called. This is my pick this week. And what it is, I'm going to try and describe it for the people that won't be able to see me holding it in my hand. It's a thin, flexible strip of basically plastic with tiny little LED bulbs embedded in it. It's got an adhesive back. You stick it wherever you need the light. Alan, it would go above your head in your bunker. Uh, And then you basically connect it up. It connects to your home's Wi-Fi. Download the free app that goes along with it. And then you have full control over the lighting in your room or wherever you want it with your smartphone. How bright are these lights? The Lightify Flex is actually quite bright. I installed two sets of kits in my kitchen and I put them under the cabinets. So I was looking more for task lighting. Because this is exactly what I think I'm going to use these things for. Because my wife really wants under cabinet lighting and I don't want to spend a lot, a lot of money on it. No, and these are, these are about 150 bucks, And you can, I mean, I think they're probably movable. They're, they do have the adhesive backs, but you could probably peel them off and move them if you had to. But they give a ton of light. I put them under two sets of cabinets in my kitchen, a coffee station and just kind of where we have our prep area. And it's super helpful. They are really bright and bright enough to work with. I'm looking at the uh, specs here. 2700 to 6500 Kelvin. I don't know what that means. What that means is your incandescent light bulb is about the 2700 Kelvin. This is something called uh, color temperature. You know when you take a picture while you're out on the uh, on the snow uh, and it, everything comes out blue? That's because the color temperature is different from what the camera is expecting it. But the, the point that you want is that you want lower numbers. You want 2700 so that it feels like a more natural light. But what's more important, I suppose, is whether or not... I can turn my kitchen into a disco by changing the colors. Professor Hainsworth has it bang on. And not only are these lights bright enough, they've got color options, which is pretty much my favorite option for smart lighting. You can turn them red, you can turn them pink, you can turn them blue or green, whatever color you want. And the color temperature thing is actually really cool because I personally prefer warmer light. 
Uh, I don't like that really kind of bright bluish light you get from fluorescent lights or those compact uh, compact fluorescents. Oh, I hate those. So with this kit in particular, you can change the color temperature to be that warmer light if you like it or the cooler light. Or you can have a disco in your kitchen, Michael, with any color of the rainbow. So can now where do they get power from? You plug them in, obviously, right? Yep, they plug into a normal AC socket. So that's kind of the only bummer of these is you do have to have an AC uh, nearby. And then they've got a little tiny connector that comes along with them, which will hook up to your home's Wi-Fi. There's one other thing you need that's actually kind of key, and it's called a gateway. And that's sort of the main hub, which will connect to your home's Wi-Fi and allow you to operate all these lights on your smartphone. So the hub itself is what actually gets you that access out to the Internet. So I can imagine you can control this no matter where you are, even if you're not at home. With some of them, you can control them from pretty much anywhere in the world. With this kit in particular, I don't have that option, um, but I do have other smart lights where you can. Just depends on the kit. They're all different. The smart lights that I've got um, allow me to not only connect to them via the internet anywhere in the world, but more importantly is I can get them to do things based upon other things that happen in my home. Like, for example, I've got a, a Net Atmo, which is an atmospheric you know, monitor thing. And if it feels that the carbon dioxide levels in the master bedroom are too high, it'll turn on the fan and I'll get it to blink a light as well. Little things like that. Does this have that sort of interconnectivity? You're talking about uh, if this, then that technology, which for people who might not know is basically it's to simplify it, it's kind of an app or a program where you can tell the app to work with other apps and programs you might have. So a lot of the smart lighting today does work with if this, then that or IFTT. Oh, I'm sensing a but. Uh, these ones do not, as far oh. as I know. But the other thing about the, uh, the Osram kit is it works with Wemo, which is one of the more popular home automation systems. They've got lights, they've got plugs, they've got um, switches. Right, which is that Belkin technology. So if you get the Belkinized version of this, you're in business. Exactly, exactly. You know, the coolest if this then that thing I've ever heard about was I guess they were with the, uh, the Philips Hue lights. Every time the Kepler Observatory discovered a new exoplanet, your lights would flash and turn the color of what the sun would appear to be on the surface of this new, newly discovered exoplanet. That's cool. That is super geeky. I, I don't have nearly such a cool setup. Mine will turn blue if it's going to rain or snow, and they'll turn red if it goes over 30 degrees which is practical, but not very exciting. Great having you with us, Aaron. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jen. See you again. And guess what? Aaron's got something to give away. I sure do. It's the Track Dot Luggage Tracker. Do you remember it? I do. We talked about it, about uh, how it'll keep you from losing your luggage. You just pop it in your bag, turn it on, and use the connected app, and it will buzz you when it gets to the airport or when it gets to a different airport. We've got one to give away. Let's do it now. London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati. From the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, this is a GNB News Update. 
See, I need one of these things myself because I'm going to Singapore on Sunday. You can't actually win this track dot luggage tracker. We're giving it away to somebody else. I know, I know. Now, the way it works is pretty unique, though. You ha- we are, As a way of thanking our interns for working on the big show... You have to be a member of the World's Worst Intern Program if you want to win this track dot luggage tracker. You just drop it in your bag. When the package arrives at its destination, it pops up telling you where it is, so you always know where your luggage is. The way it works is via Patreon. What you do is you sign up, and for a dollar an episode, that's your contribution to the big show, that's essentially a raffle ticket. So if you'd like to donate 10 bucks to the show, that's 10 tickets, greater the chances of you winning this near $300 toy. It would be very cool for anybody who does any kind of traveling like me. I do business travel all the time. And there's always that moment when I'm standing at the luggage carousel, even though I have like a premium sticker on my bag, I have that terrible feeling in the pit of my stomach. What if my bag doesn't come down the carousel? I'm screwed. This way, that would remove all that anxiety. And Erin told us the story about how she got a luggage uh, got luggage found courtesy uh, of this device. Go to a previous episode. Check that out on geeksandbeats.com. A- and as a uh, an intern, we also have a, a, the existing intern program where Aaron Warner, uh, Jeff Scarisbrick, Kevin Button, Dave Duva, Nick Alderati, Michael Yurkovitz, and a whole bunch of others have contributed to the big show. And what they've done is they've donated, for example, I've got uh, $2 here from Kevin Button. Thanks for that. With a $4 lifetime limit. So he's willing to support the show for two episodes. Basically, we've got another with $25 is what uh, Michael Yurkovich had uh, donated. And therefore, he is also the co-producer of this week's episode because he's put a $125 limit. So this is the way we're making big bucks. And it's also a way for you to get some really expensive, cool gadgets on the cheap. Yeah, it is. And we thank you very much for your support because uh, otherwise it's all coming out of our own pockets. We're not making any money doing this. We're making money just to uh, keep the thing on the air. We also want to thank uh, Geeks and Beats patron in residence, Andrew Stokely. You become a patron of the show and we thank you profusely if you donate $100 of the big show. And he did. Oh, Andrew, what a good lad. I had him over to the studio, you know. He is our senior audio consultant on the big show. He is. He can put that on his resume if he wants. You know what he's going to be doing the audio for all kinds of CBC curling this this year? That sounds exciting. Yeah, yeah. Plenty of time to surf the Geeks and Beats website while he's at it. (laughs) Yes. Cut the cord and go to geeksandbeats.com anytime. You'll get the latest episode and links to the stories the boys are talking about. Geeksandbeats.com. Also available on 8-track and cassette. These are not the drones you're looking for. Oh, are, are you going to tell me that we now have Star Wars drones? Yeah, well, Force Friday was last week when uh, all of the retailers unveiled all of that Star Wars merchandise three months before the big movie hits the silver screen, because, of course, they want to make the green. Uh-huh. And so uh, Spin Master, which is the company behind Airhog, got the licensing from the Lucas people for a whole collection of new toys. This is the, the 2015 version of Kenner back in 1977. Is it, uh, did they get it from Lucas 
or did they get it from Disney? Technically Disney, because Disney bought Lucasfilm and all of that nonsense that gets rolled into it. And so among the toys that are going to be under the tree this year, the, the most... The must-have Christmas gift this year is the Sphero droid called BB-8. It's the ball with the little head on top that rolls around, and it uses a magnet to keep the little head on top of the big ball as it spins. The yeah, this is the thing that a lot of people thought was actually CGI when they saw the trailer, but no, it's actually it actually is a mechanical thing that works. And I have a Sphero myself, and so I understand completely how this thing works, and it, it, it's adorable, it's fantastic, and there's no <laughs> chance in hell you're going to have it at Christmas. <laughs> there's no chance in hell I want it. Well, you don't want it, but every kid who's in the Star Wars is going to want this. And of course, you're going to be standing there at the Toys R Us or what have you, and it's going to be sold out. So you're going to want to grab the second most popular Star Wars related merchandise to hit the store shelves. And that would be the $140 Millennium Falcon drone. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> but this is not the fastest hunk of junk in the galaxy. I would imagine. Not at $140. No. The thing is, is that if it was $60, i would be I'd buy two for crying out loud. Uh, it's a laugh ride. It's got an Xbox-like controller that has a left trigger button for firing the cannon. So while you're you're whipping around, <laughs> you, you, can, you can play. But the problem here... Oh, and by the way, the right trigger button is labeled hyperspace. Of course it is. And it's clearly a joke <laughs> because it doesn't actually do anything. Punch it! If, if this wasn't 140 bucks, if it was 60 bucks, it'd be fine. But at $140, you're expecting a certain level of technology. At the very minimum, one where if you let go of the controls, the thing will just sit there and hover. Mm-hmm. No, that, that doesn't have the brain capacity to manage even just that. Uh, a friend of mine said, oh, 140 bucks. Well, it damn well better have a camera in it. No, no camera in it. So either Han Solo's special modifications included simple stabilizing technology that allowed it to hover in place, or the Corellian Engineering Corporation's stock YT-1300 was nearly impossible to fly. Yeah. (laughs) I know some of the guys at Spin Master. Maybe I should give them a call. Oh, they're not going to be pleased at all with with this review, because you have to constantly fine-tune the controls just to keep the thing in the air. And the problem is that it wouldn't be a big deal if it wasn't for the fact that this is indoor use only. Oh, well, there's no point. It's got a styrofoam body. It's only about a foot long. It's tiny. So I, I brought it outside to get a sense as to whether or not it would work outside. And even the slightest bit of wind through it for a loop. As a matter of fact, when I had it indoors, I had to turn off the air conditioning. And and the ceiling fans. <laughs> exactly. Um, so what's going to happen come Christmas morning is you're going is Santa's going to bring this to some, you know, a happy little Padawan, and he or she's going to rip open the, the wrapping paper, see it, plug in the six AA batteries, charge the thing up for an hour and a half, and then get good 10 minutes of absolute frustration. <sighs> So you're going to say, punch it, Chewie, once, and then you're going to punch it. You're going to want to throw it against a wall. Actually, you won't even have to throw it against the wall because that's where it usually will end up anyway. Mm. So, and then what makes it worse is they also have an X-Wing fighter, which for some reason is labeled X-Wing Starfighter. 
Have you ever heard it called a star? No. It's always been an X-Wing fighter. Right. I don't know. Maybe this is the politically correct. Well, it's a starfighter. We don't want people to think they're actually fighting. Uh, so with that in mind, it actually is not a drone. It's a remote control plane. Which is a completely different thing. A completely different thing. And it's more of a remote control glider that has some powered support for it. And because it's a plane and the wings, the X wings themselves are insufficient for the draft necessary for the liftoff, it has two quasi-invisible plastic clear fins at the very front. Oh, no. Yes. Oh, what a cheat. That's no good. And two grown-ups, me and a colleague, took it out to the parking lot and tried to fly the thing. This is not like flying a T-16 back home. I don't know what you're talking about, but okay. That's okay, Mr. Star Trek fan. We'll, we'll let that pass. But, so that would be probably the third most popular Star Wars-related Christmas gift that's going to be under the tree this year. So if you go to the store and they don't have the BB-8, skip over the Millennium Falcon drone, and I pray to you that you skip over the X-Wing fighter. It's not as expensive as the drone, but it is. It, I couldn't get it to fly for more than three or four feet. Oh, dear. So this is sort of, you know... A big disappointment for everybody in, involved. Yeah, no one's going to win on this. It, and it's terribly disappointing as, as a grown-up, you know, kid who loved Star Wars. All I ever wanted was a Millennium Falcon I could fly. And the thing, too, about the Falcon is that you would think that because we've got, you know, chips and technology today that's capable of doing this, that it would fly like the Millennium Falcon. But the Falcon doesn't fly like a drone. It doesn't hover. It doesn't spin on its axis. It banks. It curves like a traditional airplane. And you could, if you put the effort into it, build in the ability so that when the joystick says go left, you bank left instead of just spin left. Oh, dear. Well. So now you know what not to get me for Christmas. I'm, I'm sorry that your dreams have been, have been dashed. Obliterated like the planet Alderaan. I felt a great disturbance in the force. As if millions of voices suddenly cried out in terror and were suddenly silenced. All right. To, to end the program, I would like to talk about the uh, invasion of South Korea by the North that nobody seems to be talking about. Um, these two countries have been at each other's throats um, since 1953. They have um, had this uneasy truce with the DMZ along the 38th parallel on the Korean Peninsula. Uh, I have been to South Korea. I have been 12 feet inside North Korea at the DMZ. I know exactly how weird this part of the world is. I know exactly how high the tensions can run. And I am a collector of Cold War propaganda. I have posters. You've been to the house. I've got posters from um, uh, the USSR, Red China, Vietnam, uh, a few other places. And when I went to South Korea, I was hoping to get some kind of Democratic People's Republic of Korea, the North. I was hoping to get some sort of propaganda from them. But uh, under a 1948 national security law, it is illegal for anybody in the South to possess or otherwise distribute any and all North Korean propaganda. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah. you No, you can't. They, they do have these friendship stores. And I did go to one. Uh, where you can buy certain products that are manufactured in the North, in the South, as you know, a spirit of cooperation. The best I could do is this horrible rice wine with a snake in it. It's terrible. Was it that soju you were talking uh, about? No, it's worse than soju. Okay. It's much worse than soju. Um, anyway, 
uh, despite the best efforts at maintaining a secure border with the people in the north, uh, the south right now is subject to various incursions from the north. It's not another tunnel under the border. It's not landmines necessarily uh, planted on the south side of the DMZ. The big th- they've actually the North Koreans have actually reached Seoul. What has happened is that there are a number of karaoke machines in karaoke parlors in the South that have somehow had patriotic Northern Korean songs installed within them. Uh, They include the songs (laughs) Glory to the Dear Leader and Living Well in the People's Paradise. We're not sure exactly how these um, incursions were made into the KTV parlors of Seoul. Uh, the South believes it's the work of northern spies. And lawmakers have been dispatched, um, or well, they've dispatched undercover operatives to investigate a number of these establishments in some of the seedier areas of Seoul. Uh, that may have some of these infected machines. They've found two more under surveillance, and um, they're taking this very seriously because one official says, like water soaking through a sponge, singing songs that praise North Korea can slowly penetrate our minds and make us weak. My favorite quote is, these karaoke machines have the power to break down our mentality and ideas. They are like a poison mushroom that can infect 50 million South Koreans. Are they really that into the karaoke in South Korea? Oh, absolutely. Oh, no, 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 no. Um, they are huge. <laughs> what you do is you go and you drink a lot of soju. You uh, sing your heart out because you're a salary man. You're working very, very hard. You're working yourself to death. And then you collapse in the gutter on the way home. And then the police pick you up and take you to the drunk tank and then eventually deliver you home. So while I haven't learned anything about karaoke in South Korea, I've learned that apparently one in five men pay for sex four times a month in South Korea. Is that so? Well, it's on the internet. It must be true. I uh, I, I was there with my wife, so I never had an opportunity to investigate such statistics. <laughs> Wait a minute. Are you saying that if you weren't with your wife, you would have? No, no, no. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I just that that I was I was looking for other things. Yeah. Well, welcome back. Great start to season four. <laughs> Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes, and watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code three two three three nineteen nerd. Follow the stories on Twitter, Facebook, and get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.